You're listening to the Urban Warfare Project Podcast from the Modern War Institute at West Point. I'm John Spencer, Chair of Urban Warfare Studies at MWI and host of this podcast. Today's guest on the podcast is Brigadier General Rob Woolridge. He is the Deputy Commanding General of Operations for the 40th Infantry Division, California Army National Guard. Sir, welcome back to the show. Uh, thanks for having me back, John. And uh, I guess I get to be in a small club of your two-timers. And I really appreciate you coming out to California a couple of weeks ago and uh, giving your experience to the class. That was value-added. Yes, sir. And I'm a proud member of the California State Guard and proud director of urban warfare training with this massive, world-changing effort that you built, sir. And we talked a lot about that in our first show. So for any listener who didn't have a chance to listen to the first show, I highly recommend you go back and listen to that podcast with me and General Woolrich called the Army's First Urban Warfare Planners Course. We ran it back in October of 2021. In the podcast, we, we talked about why General Woolridge, the 40th ID, how I was brought into it, why the effort is so critical, why there's a huge gap across the world in preparing militaries for urban operations, especially large-scale combat operations, and then the way ahead between when we left off the first run of the course and to today, what we're going to talk about today, which is round two of the world's only urban planner course, especially oriented at the brigade and above levels. So earlier this month in July of 2022, we ran the second iteration of the 40th Infantry Division's urban planner course. So I wanted to bring General Woolridge back to talk about all the changes we made to the course how this second round went and, you know, of course, the way ahead. So, sir, I thought we'd start off by where we left off, right? We left off with the last course, the last podcast. We even did an article about it and said, hey, we learned a lot from even doing it because nobody ever tried this, right? There's lots of courses out there on urban warfighting, tactical level, shooting, breaching. Sniping. Yeah, snipe, sniping. The British military has a, an urban operations course that's a little bit bigger, but it, it, it talks about combined arms maneuver at that very tactical level. But there, there was nothing that we could use, nothing we could draw back into to build a planner's course solely for urban operations and dense urban operations. So what were some of the things that we did between that last course and now that drove into the course that we put together? Well, thanks, John. I think the first course was really an experiment. And so we tried a lot of different things. And so uh, we had a very good uh, feedback mechanism. We did daily after action reviews with the students there and really got a lot of great feedback. Uh, We did some feedback uh, during the second course that we just finished, but not quite as intensively because we we thought we had it a little bit more dialed in. But back to October, uh, we had some things in there where you had some uh, civil support. We had some kind of esoteric talking about newfangled urban gadgets and some some other things that didn't resonate well with the students. So we we tried to keep in what made sense and uh, you know switch out the stuff that didn't make sense and, and really kind of focus. And I think the, the way that we organized the second course in general is the way that we're going to stick with where we started with you know, understanding why is urban hard? And you let off with a great uh, keynote on that. You know, why is urban hard? What what makes it different? And then we really dove deep into understanding urban systems, understanding the threat, 
And then we finished up the last three days of the class really were understanding the tools that brigade division and even core planners would have to solve this um, difficult urban problem. So overall, I think that the changes that we made came through. I think we're going to stick with the overall, uh, that three-phased curriculum. And, you know, it's just little tweaks uh, here and there, I think, is where we're going to go from from here. Yes, sir. And I'd like to say that we led off the course with the Wise Urban Hearts, and that was a joint presentation with, since you are now a member of this very small global, we, we call ourselves the Urbanistas, which are people that have self-selected, although I, I do get paid and have a dream job to do urban warfare only, but have self-selected like Major Jason Giroux, Stuart Lyle, Tony King, these guys who specialize in like read about urban warfare. I think you're now a full-fledged member of that club, sir. Well, I, I appreciate that. Sometimes I feel like uh, I'm just standing around while the cool kids are sitting at the lunch table. But uh, I appreciate that. And I certainly do like to engage on what I think is a very important subject for the Army. And yes, it, it happens to interest me. But at my core, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help the Army get better at it so that it's not such a voyage of discovery when we have to go and fight in this. And that's what we've we've seen over the past, since the last class in 2021. You know, we were just predicting the future. Oh, the future's urban. Uh, you know, we're going to fight there. And then we've seen it in Ukraine and Russia. And when you ask any normal person on the street or even somebody who's following along uh, from, uh, you know, a soldier, or somebody in the army following along, you ask them, okay, name me a battle. And they'll talk about Kiev or Mariupol or Severodonex. And I said, okay, so name me a battle that occurred out in the open. You keep naming me cities. And so I think it's interesting that although everybody's watching this live in the Russia-Ukrainian war, where it's very urban and suburban focused, that people aren't beating a path to 40th ID's door with giant sacks of cash saying, can you run 10 of these a year or something? So I think it's interesting. And I wonder how much, how much more proof we're going to have to see in the news before uh, folks stand up and take notice that we need to pay a lot more attention to urban warfare and we need to train harder for it. Amen, sir. I get this a lot and I'm trying to do it without overselling it, but not only do all roads lead to urban, there's very little going on in my mind. And I, I stay pretty busy from, from day one battle of Kiev and all the major cities to even the Eastern fight in the Donbass where they headed, they're headed to, co- to hold key terrain, key logistical hubs, key cities, Severodonetsk, Lysychansk, Donetsk, um, even in the south, as we're speaking in Kherson, it is the tactical operational strategic objectives. And arguably, Ukraine has shown that you don't need more close quarters battle room clearing training. You need more large scale combat operations, urban planning training. What are the requirements? Well, there are different ways to do it. And I really after having gone to Kiev, continuing to study the operational level of how that battle affected the ability to achieve strategic and operational objectives, and then I'm sitting through the course and listening to people like Dr. Jacob Stoyle talk about division-level templates of urban operations that have worked in history, uh, different ways to do it, and then you know Major Jason Drew talking about different way different armies doctrinal templates say it from Russia to China. 
one, I learn something every time we do the course, right? We're, we're learning as we're teaching. And that's something I learned back at West Point, right? You, you achieve a level of mastery when you have to teach somebody, but also, and we'll talk about that, who we brought together this time as we extended the network, which was one year plan, sir, to build this community of interest with the 40th idea as the hub, which I don't think you could run this course either just with somebody saying, I'm going to do it. You're a, D, a deputy commanding general of a division doing warfighters and having a realistic, like I, I have been assigned this in warfighters. I likely could be assigned this very soon. And having that that relevancy to developing a course to make your planners, which were a lot of this, and we'll talk about who the student population was too, your planners better at developing plans for large-scale combat operations. Right. And I, I, I agree with you, John. I have a little saying, sometimes a teacher, always a student. And so I was listening during uh, Jacob's brief as well in those division operational approaches. And having heard it la- last time, um, I got a finer understanding of it this time. And uh, I'm not going to let you off the hook yet, sir, about one, your leadership in the sausage making between the two courses. Right, I'm not going to let you off the hook. <laughs> it's the number of hours that you a general, me, and then Dr. Jacob Stuhl, we brought in the big guns from Sam's to go through with a fine tooth comb and look at the pedagogy of this course, because this is not a seminar. And you know, I, I'm adamant about this, that it's a, it's a, a course that builds a foundation and then goes to synthesis and analysis. So we spent weeks revamping and dissecting and you're debating what to keep in, what to keep out, and ensuring we stay to the lesson objectives for the course and for the buckets that you mentioned there with the three phases. Could you, you know, go over the lesson objectives or the, the course objective? Sure. You're right. That was some, we had some long nights around the holidays. And so the, the course objective that we narrowed down was this is something that somebody should be able to walk out of this course and have an understanding of how to understand the urban environment, right? The methodology for studying and trying to get at the systems that really make up the urban environment. And then the tools, they should walk out of this with the tools to actually do something. We've seen a lot of courses, you know, at least I've I've seen a lot before we made this one, and it seemed to just admire the problem where, oh, yes, urban's hard, urban's hard. How hard is it? It's very hard. Okay, see you later. And so we thought it was very important to, to make the time. And, you know, that was one of the, some of the fights that we were having was, well, we, you know, we've got 14 days worth of stuff that we need to cram into seven days worth of instruction. And that, that's kind of an interesting thing that we, in the National Guard, you know, we've got to make use of our weekends. So that's why the, the course starts on a Sunday. The first day of instructions on a Sunday and the last day of instructions on a Saturday. So you basically do those seven days of instruction. We get 40% more time in the classroom just because we add on those two days than if we had just done it Monday through Friday. So I think it was um, it was important to, to start with those those big things in mind. And then, you know, that terminal learning objective to use Army speak of, you know, what do you want to get out of the course? So we, together with Dr. Stoyle from the School of Advanced Military Studies there at Fort Leavenworth and you, yeah, we spent a lot of nights, a lot of nights during the holidays between Thanksgiving and Christmas and even afterwards trying to get this right and uh, fighting it out on what we need to keep in, what we need to put out. 
or you know what we need to pull out. So it's a, um, I mean, I think it was a good process though, right? Um, iron sharpens iron, and having the chance to to defend why we think this, and so I, and that piece there mostly did, or, or mostly came true. You know, we had some, you know, an instructor dropped out right before this second class, and we had to combine and do a little bit of massaging, but for the most part, our idea survived and played out there in the second course. And one of the things that we wanted to do is to take out stability operations and civil support and really concentrate on large-scale combat operations. And I think that that was something that was important. We had done a little bit, a little bit, we'd had a full day of civil support and stability operations during the first course back in October. And the active duty folks weren't interested because they don't want to do stability. And the Compo 2 uh, National Guard folks already knew it. And so they were bored. So we, we pulled that out. And we the, one of the things that we added in, though, is we wanted to add in subterranean. And so that was actually a contact that Dr. Stoyle had had, a SAMS student who had uh, done a um, his monograph on subterranean. That's uh, Major Scott Rowett. And he did a great job. He came in and actually picked up for one of our other instructors who couldn't make it. We were trying to get in somebody from the Israeli Defense Force because they know subterranean really well. And so uh, Major Rowett actually covered down on both of those those two courses on sub-T and knocked it out of the park. And that was one, some consistent feedback that we got that um, he did a really great job. And this was an aspect that most people don't understand how tightly coupled urban warfare is with subterranean. Yeah, absolutely. And the key for him, I'm going back to kind of some of those driving principles that we had to really commit to is that this isn't this isn't a familiarization course some of them could be defining the problem but then it was about providing to the so what the tools and the resources for a planner right because i've been to i've been doing this for over a decade i've been to a lot of urban training events i've been to some even so-called courses which are familiarization with the complexity and understanding the the, the human domain and all of that but it, it really becomes a giant elephant and you just don't have enough time for it. So making that commitment, I think, up front was very key. And it was still a really hard challenge just to cover LISCO, large-scale combat operations, brigade and above, offense and defense operations. And it was still a challenge. It was. And that the feedback that we got from the second one said, we need even more time. So. Yeah. And so that was one of the adding in subterranean. And then there were a couple other things that we learned from the first one. We, uh, it was an idea I got from a, a different course I had been to at Northcom. And that rather than sending everybody out on the economy to run around for an hour and try and find lunch, we actually catered in lunch. Students paid up front for a week's worth of lunches and we we had our support staff go and grab them. And so what that allowed people to do is to relax, eat their lunch, not have to run around. And then we had four different tracks, you, you could call them, but these different four different discussions, like either history focused or civilian considerations or army doctrine or current events. And so you could grab your lunch and go to one of these four breakout rooms and listen to what you wanted to listen to and what you were more interested in. So it was a great thing for the students because they got to pick. And it was a great way for us who wanted to shoehorn, we wanted to shoehorn more stuff into the course. And so it allowed us to add in some extra things that we weren't going to be able to get in there any other way. So that was really cool. Yes, sir. I, I remember I remember a little different, like of me fighting on my desk going like you can't cut this you, you we have to present on this information like 
where, what do you want to take out? And that, that, that was the tough conversations we were having to have um, as we were filling it in. And those lunches opened up so much. I mean, just the historical context, right? So we can predict our doctrine and then we can predict, you know, we can, we can do exercises, but having that foundation and I'm not a historian, you, you know, we, we brought in major Jason Giroux, who's a huge historian, urban operations historian, but having presentations on the battle of Kiev 2022, just mine, uh, but having him present on the battle of Seoul 1950, you name it, uh, those lunches, I, I've never seen that done, honestly, to, to, during, I've seen working lunches, of course, but to, in, in every, I saw there was, I saw students or us, in, and I even went to, if I wasn't slotted, I went to other ones and I like uh, Stu Lyles on uh, basically myths and legends of the urban operations kind of data use, the use of data. Uh, I learned a lot from the ones I can, but man, those were really rich. And, I, and also, and sort of the, well, I think what I learned from the first one, because you know, when we, sometimes when you go to a course, the the conversations you have between um, that you know that was a lesson that I learned from the first one to the second one is right. You, you you get their eyes open as students, but if you don't give them time to digest it with you know, kind of in between the classes, I think that was that was huge as well. Yeah, we we found that the first one was just kind of like a you know we we packed too much in and it was just one right after another. And so we went instead of hour blocks where it was just 60 minutes of instruction, no questions, no break, go into the next one. Uh, this second class or the second course, we were able to, uh, you know, build in a 15 minute break for, or if, so, you know, people can discuss, like you said, that as I walked around after or between these breaks um, I would walk up on students and, you know, there's a small group of three or four and they're talking about what it was, you know, the class before or, the, or two classes ago. And they're having that rich discussion so that they can, uh, you know, soak those lessons in. So I think it was um, it was important to build those breaks in and to build more time for discussion so that we weren't just uh, you know, speed marching through this thing. And this is the most important thing is the lessons that people walk away from it. Right. And so I wanted to facilitate that as much as I could. Yeah. Cause you wouldn't let me give written tests. Cause if it was up to me, I would have given them a written test at the end. And <laughs> cause I'm really big into foundational, like, uh, you, you know, I taught urban one oh one. I thought that was important because I think if we understand the other terrain better and we can, we can recite and apply later, things like five train features, three minor features, like what's the urban version of that? What's the urban one-on-one? And, you know, I taught a block and I think there are things that this is a course. There are learning objectives. There are what we want the students to take away, what we want them to be able to be on the planning staff. I thought that was key. Since we didn't mention it, I, I think it's important to cover though, is who were the students this time? What was the student population? And it was slightly different if I'm correct from the first one. Right. Hey, one thing I want to, before we get into the students, I want to uh, mention is you talked about the, um, 
uh, you talked about the foundational learning, right? And understanding the different types of urban terrain and the different types of functional areas uh, in dense urban terrain. So that's one of the reasons I fought so hard to make sure that we had um, enough aviation assets that every single student got a seat in a Blackhawk um, on the way out to National Training Center and on the way back, um, which that was an important thing that we needed to keep in. But um, students were able to see from a Blackhawk when everybody had headsets with an instructor inside, they were able to look out over Los Angeles as we traveled to and from National Training Center. We took two different routes so we could see different types of urban terrain. And that's where um, your the practical application was there for your Urban 101 and for talking about those different types of terrain and different types of uh, functional areas. So I think that it was key to get up inside a helicopter over one of the country's only two mega cities. Los Angeles has got 12 million people in, in that basin. And so understand, you know, being able to see it for yourself, fly over it and talk about it with one of the world's foremost experts in the back of a Blackhawk. I thought that that was a key piece. Yes, sir. So do I. And I don't see how you could do it. I, I couldn't see how you could achieve that learning objective of application of, of the, the 101 of the functional areas, the street pattern, um, why does it matter that, you know, the different, um, urban patterns like nodal and all the, you know, hub and all these, if you then fly above it, uh, I don't see how you could achieve that learning objective. So I don't know. I know it, 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 it costs you a lot of pain and, and a lot of money to be honest to do that. But I, I guarantee and I didn't read all the ARs like yet. Uh, and I'm sure you, sure you, you, you've gone through them, but um, there are some things that I feel deeply as kind of a guy who's been studying this for a while that are like that are that are vital to the success of the course. I think the National Training Center visit and that aerial flight is huge. And we're definitely going to keep that um, for the next one. I've already turned in the uh, the air re- movement request uh, for May uh, May of 2023 is when we're going to do the next one. Um, the 14th through the 20th. So, um, but back to your students, we, we had a lot of interest. Um, we had a lot of, uh, folks contact us, even though the course is not in ATARS, that's the army's system for scheduling courses. Everything from airborne school to war college is in ATARS. So this course is in an ATARS and even just through word of mouth. It's not yet. It's not yet, but that's that's my goal. Is actually that's what we're working on now, um, along with the AARs. We're going through the steps to put it in ATARs. Um, the uh, so even though it wasn't in in ATARs, we through word of mouth and through um, you know social media and through a couple uh, publications like the Infantry Warfighting Forum. We had over a hundred people that expressed interest in coming, and so that led us to have a both a, a resident or in person course, and then we had a robust virtual student pool. And partially because the Blackhawks, the four Blackhawks, were the limiting factor for transportation to NTC and back, we had only forty resident students, but we had over sixty virtual students signed up. And that was one of the things that we tried to do a much better job of this time around was making it a fulfilling experience for the virtual students. That's why we hired a professional team to facilitate the 
virtual students. And we got a lot of positive feedback from those students that it, it worked well. And we're even taking the, the recordings uh, that we had done for the virtual students and we're putting them up on YouTube. So if people weren't able to come uh you know, that week, either in person or virtually, that they can go back and look at the YouTube videos of the classes that they're interested in. So I, I think that worked out pretty well. Yes, sir. So we talked about the students, but we, we also brought together even more of the world's leading experts in urban operations. And not to be, you know, not trying to be cocky about it, but the list of people we brought in from you, me, uh, Major Jason Drew from the Canadian Army, Jacob Stoyle from SAMS, uh, Stuart Lyle from the British DSTL, basically the British version of DARPA, uh, Sahar Muhammad Ali, the world's leading protection of civilians in, in high-intensity urban combat. The I think the all-star team you brought together, hopefully that I think will drive interest even more as people see what they're missing out on. Well, we had to keep the, like I said, we had to keep that population small. So we were very selective about who we um, chose to be in um, the resident course. So it ended up, um, there was a lot of interest, like I said, that we had one particular, the artillery school in the United Kingdom said, I want to send 15 people. And I was like, that's nice, but you're not going to take up a third of the class. So we were, we handed out slots and we basically very carefully crafted the diversity of students for their resident course so that uh, people would be able to learn from one another. And we had about a third um, allies and international students. We had students from Chile, uh, Holland, Germany, Australia, UK, and Jason Giroux was from Canada. So, I mean, we had quite a few folks from our allies and, and our international partners. And then about a third were active duty, either army or Marines. And then we had about a, the last third was the National Guard and Reserve, including some, uh, we had an Air Guardsman reservist in there as well. So I think we had a really good mix and people figured out that they were learning from each other. It was a great learning environment and also a really fun way to meet new people and, and hear different perspectives. So I'm, I'm really pleased with the, the mix of uh, how the student body helped out. And uh, I agree that we were able to bring in a lot of heavy hitters in the, in the urban space. And I'm hoping Tony King, the British author, who really has some great ideas, and hopefully we'll be able to get him in one of the future courses as well. Yes, sir. I will title this podcast, The World's only urban planner course because I've traveled the world and know that it it is for brigade and above operations because of how difficult we actually cover in the in the course why is it difficult to plan visualize urban operations and then exercise it to increase in proficiencies in planning like knowing the historical templates um, that are you know not in doctrines because just this is not the way the system works you have to train and exercise this at the planner level. I thought that was important. Is there anything from the course that, that you just want to, I, I want to rub in people's faces, like, look what you missed. <laughs> it, that, yeah, that's my way, right? Uh, it is my podcast, so I can do that. On some of the things we covered in this version of the course that maybe we didn't in the first time. We, I think that our visit to NTC was, was outstanding. And uh, General Kurt Taylor there, he's fought an urban battle when he was a field grade officer in Iraq. He's got some really great ideas. 
one of the things that he really gets is that urban, because the presence of civilians is part of that and nobody in their right mind thinks that you're actually going to be able to clear out civilians. That's why it's such an important part of our curriculum and why we have Sahar Muhammad Ali on the team and with us throughout all the instruction. And she's always lending that lens, that aspect of the civilians. But I think that General Taylor not only understands the civilian piece of urban, but he's layering on the information operations part and he really gets it. And so I think that having him there to provide that keynote, and then we walked around to four different stations in Rajesh and got to see the town up close and talked with the senior trainers. These are all post-battalion command observer trainers. And so they had each of their own different aspects. And so we did kind of a four-station round robin where we went around and got to talk to the best and brightest who fight in that city or see the fight in that city. And we also had some soldiers from uh, the opposing force at National Training Center, the 11th ACR, their nickname's the Black Horse. So we had some Black Horse soldiers who had 10, 20 rotations in that city talking about how did they fight it and how what happens when a brigade comes through. So we don't have a lot of deep urban warfare experience in the army anymore. You know, a lot like the battle for Sauter city, not to make you feel old, but was like 15 years ago. (laughs) So, um, you know, there's not, not everybody has that experience. And so, but to talk to some of these young soldiers that have, you know, dozens of rotations under them and understand where, where does that doctrine break down? Where does the, um, the TTPs that the army has, which are supposed to apply everywhere, forest, desert, urban, it's all the same, right? Well, it's not the same in urban and, and where do they break down? So having that voice of experience at the National Training Center was, I think that that was invaluable and probably the, the best part of it. So everybody who didn't show up, they missed out on the key ingredients on how to fight and win in Rajesh. Yeah. And we actually had 11th Cavalry, you know, a Black Horse member in the course. So I thought that was very interesting. So better. We did. And I've talked with uh, General Taylor about getting some more folks in there so that we they can make Rajesh even tougher. And I think that as as we talked about before we got on the podcast, that one of the cool things is just this course being a thing, having done it twice and gone to the National Training Center twice. We also visited there in between. And I know that uh, they the National Training Center invited you to give your feedback on how they should fight in Rajesh, how they should present a realistic problem to the units that are um, rotating through every month. And they actually listened to what you said, and, and we could see the changes when we went in July. We saw rubble. We saw it wasn't just a nice, neat thing. It was dirty and it, it was hard. So there was all sorts of different things that they had applied. And I was gratified to see that that, that you and the course itself um, are doing what's intended to do is to provide that feedback loop to the army so that we're not just making urban doctrine that nobody reads and we're not just talking about it, but we're actually fighting in the city, learning those lessons and getting better at it because this is where we're going to fight in the future. Yes, sir. I really appreciate that. And that's very humbling for me when we did go back and, you know, what I talked about defending this city. Um, if any listener doesn't know, go back and listen to our first podcast because this course is really thanks to your work, sir, a partnership with the National Training Center. And I, I don't think you can do this anywhere else in the world than in California because of the fact that the National Training Center is the Super Bowl 
It is the biggest urban training site in the U.S. Army. It is where we assign brigades the task of seizing and controlling urban terrain and executing all the tasks that we talk about. And General Taylor has really completely revolutionized what was already a great event and now making it reflect. Even from what I just saw in Kiev, then talking to them and in our course, which we'd flown out there almost now started making me feel older, like two years ago in preparation, like, hey, we have to come together. This is so important. And having that entire chain of command at the National Training Center fully backing, fully understands, tell us what you need. I don't think you could do it without visiting the National Training Center, understanding that's the culmination, that's the culminating brigade training event for urban warfare against a peer enemy. And then seeing where there are gaps, but also learning from the people that see it every time. And we had, I don't think we mentioned it yet, we actually had some of the 07s, like the fires and the EW 07s come back to LA and then teach courses on what they're seeing at the brigade level, all the rotations. But that link is so critical. But yet the evolution that we've seen in the, the Battle of Rajesh, right, the biggest city that the U.S. Army owns, arguably the biggest in the world, as in used that way, not in number of buildings, don't go there, but used in a, in a major brigade operation with heavy and striker units. That, that, that's, it, that's it. I traveled the world. I'm telling you, it's the best. But then to have it, that openness, to have this, almost this PME element of it in the feedback loop to the training environment, it's all coming together, sir. I think it was key. And like you said, we invited some of the National Training Center, like you said, the, they call them the critter teams, right? And that's their call sign is like Wolf07. He came out, he was actually changing jobs and stuck around a little bit longer to come down and, and talk to us about fires and how to use fires in, in an urban environment. And I thought that that was key to have them down and again, have that relationship. So that was one of the tools that we put in the student's tool bag, right? It wasn't just operational approaches, but we broke down each of the warfighting functions, each of the six warfighting functions and had a course just on that and did a deep dive into each of the six warfighting functions, plus information operations, which I know the Marine Corps considers that a, a warfighting function. The Army's not there yet. I personally think that we need to get there. But doing deep dives, not only just on brigade and division level tactics, but on warfighting functions and how they are different and what different techniques and tactics you need to apply in the urban area to be successful. I thought that that was uh, key takeaways for the students. I, I think, you know, I don't want to let you go, sir, as we're bringing this to the end without talking about the war game. <laughs> That's good. As you know, I'm not the, you know, you and Stuart Lyle, I have my, my things like I'm really big in you know, going to war zones and walking the ground and having a better appreciation War games, I won't say is at the top of my, like, that's my thing. Uh, but you did, I know, sir, you had an interest of moving my dial to believing in the the efficacy and, and benefits of putting it to practice in a war game. Do you want to talk about that? Well, um, I hope I did move the needle a little bit for you. But, uh, yes, war games win wars. And I'm, that was uh, Stu Lyle put that out at the course, and, and I'm stealing it because that's that's a great thing. But when you can't walk the ground, John, and the only thing that you can do is you can simulate it, right? So we can either just talk about doctrine or we can 
actually try to apply it against a thinking enemy. And that's really where war games come in. And so we, uh, through the, our Urbanista, you know, uh, social media network, I was able to find, I've got the same thing going on a, on a war games network. So there's a, there's a war gamer who uh, works for the Marine Corps out on the East coast, Sebastian Bay. And I asked him for some help uh, trying to make an urban war game. Cause there isn't really something off the shelf. So he, put me in touch with a man named Brian Train, who's a Canadian citizen who lives up in uh, Victoria in Canada. And um, he volunteered his own time and his own money and everything to, to design this war game. And so in between the first and the second class, he, he sent some prototypes and we actually played through them and gave him some feedback. And we spent not as much time as you, me, and Dr. Stoyle did on the curriculum, but we spent a fair amount of time refining this war game so that it accurately, it struck that right balance between something that is simulates the urban environment well and simulates the, um, how hard it is to, um, pry a defender out of, you know, a, a bunker complex, uh, some sort of hard, dense urban terrain. So, you know, something that simulates that well, but also something that's easy to learn, right? And so that's the, in a war game, that's really the balance that you you do is you want it to be, um, uh, you know, close to what you're trying to simulate, but you don't want to make it so close and so cumbersome that you can't uh, move forward and play the game. And we actually had a, uh, one of our, uh, uh, British students who was a lawyer, uh, he had that, um, you know, epiphany moment after the first thing he's, he said, Hey, sir, I, you know, I was having trouble following it and this was kind of hard and I didn't really see the point, but then it clicked. And not only did I get the war game and, and start enjoying it, but now the lessons that had happened during the course made sense because we talked about, um, applying, those different operational approaches or those different tactics um, in the war game. And again, like I talked about earlier, we broke up into groups of four. So it was two students against two students fighting, um, you know, uh, opposing forces over the same map and fighting against a thinking opponent who doesn't want to agree with you and has a, uh, you know, a, a will to win that is where you learn the best. And um, it it was very much an experiment. We hadn't tried this before. Um, The first course had been with uh, Colonel Gygax leading us through a little bit of uh, Dungeons and Dragons type of uh, scenario tabletop exercise. But this war game was a very different and new thing that again, custom designed by Brian who paid his own way to fly down to Los Angeles and actually walk us through these uh, thing. So I'm, I'm very grateful to him, but it was a very much an experiment. And so we had no idea how it was going to go, but it, it went over a lot better than I thought it would. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I would have been a believer one. I didn't know who, like I, I'm a one trick pony, right? I'm an urban warfare guy. I, I have very few friends that aren't urban warfare guys. Um, but the response that people to the, in the group who knew who Brian train was, I guess he's like the Yoda of war games. <laughs> But to see him put together, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he he takes on that that uh, that nickname. But okay, we'll go with that. I mean, when you had the like the Joint Special Forces, you know, University guy, like a group that came, like I'm here because Brian trains here, and I want to see what he's doing. Uh, And to see what you guys created, that was it was very impressive. I I will be honest with you, and I agree. 
you know, talking through those different templates of how to fight an urban fight, whether it's offense or defense, and seeing that, getting that feedback from the actual game was was very impressive. So I, I, I was impressed. One that on the team you brought together too, and having Stu in the in you in the room and all those those key facilitators as well, it was a very impressive game. Uh, it was, it, and this is that's how I look at war games, right? Is it's practice, right? It's PT for your brain. And so it's practicing our decision-making skills against a thinking opponent because, as the great philosopher Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And so having that thinking enemy and having to work stuff out, you know, work out your plan and it's not going to go how it's planned. And so what are you going to do? What kind of uh, rapid decision-making are you going to try to get out of that? And like you mentioned, having the three members of the Joint Special Operations University come out mostly due to Brian Train, they dove in with both feet and helped teach uh, other other aspects of the course. One of the, we had a CW5 who was a, a special forces warrant officer, a very senior special forces warrant officer with, a, with his own doctorate degree, taught our urban warfare students on how to use special operations in an urban environment. So I think that the war game was a good way to wrap it up. Maybe it wasn't as standard as a written test, but I think that having the war game uh, really brought all the lessons together. So people learned and really drove home those lessons that they learned over the past six days. And they, they walked out of the course having a much better grasp of the fundamentals and some tools that they can take forward back to their units and hopefully be more effective when it's time to fight in dense urban terrain. Yes, sir. But the war game for me gave them reps and sets. So you, as we showed them that you're not going to get above a brigade level, we're not going to get a mega city to practice in. Uh, and you gave them a lot of reps and sets through the war game of, of implementing all the things we had taught in the course. That's a good point. The war game was um, done at the division level. So the, the war game teams were division commanders commanding brigades all the way down to they had battalion level pieces or counters. So that was the size of the unit that was moving and fighting. Um, and we had some rules to adjudicate who would win. Yes, we rolled some dice, which showed risk. You know, that's how you encapsulate risk of, you know, failing or risk of, you know, taking a risk and succeeding. And so I thought that that was a, that was an important way to drive home the learning. Uh, hopefully listeners take from the amount of work that you personally put in this or on from the pedagogy to the stuff that I didn't even see with the student selection to the war game. And I know you, you were even making adjustments to the war game while we were teaching the course. I, I know you stayed after hours and hopefully everybody sees how much work has been put into this. Make it, it, it isn't just the, the world's only urban warfare planning course. It's, it's the best. It's the only, but the amount of work you we put into this, you put into this. It's just, it's crazy. Well, I, I appreciate that, John, but I got a great team. I had two, three actually folks helping me out, get ready for the course. Major Dom Silva, Sergeant Matthews and Sergeant Ayala were all helping me. And then, like you said, we, we assembled this huge coalition of the willing to come out to LA again and teach. So it's really a team effort. And you know, I'm happy to provide the venue and, and a little bit of the thrust. But I think that this is an important subject. It's important for the American Army to get this right. And I'm hoping to see that through the networks and through um, training 
these people from the units, I hope that they go back and this starts to diffuse throughout the army and we get a lot more senior leaders who are willing to, you know, put some resources to this to keep it permanent, right? This is self-funded. The 40th Infantry Division is doing this out of hide and trying to find some sort of steady funding that will survive after I move on or, you know, whatever. I think that that's an important thing for the army is to keep this uh, feedback loop up and keep this training up. One of the people that we had, actually two of the students that we had were from First Corps uh, up at Joint Base Lewis-McChord. That's our, the 40th Infantry Division's higher headquarters in the active duty, you know, in the war trace realm is uh, First Corps and Lieutenant General Brunson. I actually went back and forth with him on Twitter and he sent down two of his planners and both of them shared with me what they took back for not just First Corps, but U.S. Army Pacific and Indo-PACOM that the lessons that they learned in the class is something that they're going to apply in their warfighter coming up in October and in uh, future plans for uh, real world plans. It's great that we are able to provide this feedback and to provide this instruction for the, the larger army. I just hope that it continues. Yes, sir. I was, so you got ahead of me on what's next. So clearly we've argued in the first podcast, hopefully it's clear enough in this podcast, hopefully anybody's watched a day of what's going on in Ukraine, the requirement should be very obvious. But the fact that the U.S. military does not have this course, the 40th Infantry Division has funded both of these because you believe in it. I know a way ahead is to figure out a way if senior leaders view this as important, I don't see how they couldn't, that you get a sustainable, reliable funding stream. Is there anything else that's on the the near horizon, like what's next besides the fact, of course, we're only going to make this better. I think there's, there's two things that I'd like to see. One, as we do this more, I'd like to see people trying to do more with the training, more urban with the training that they have. The second thing I'd like to see is we have been working on a smart book, a planning consideration smart book called it the gray book. We talked about it on the last podcast that it's kind of like the gold book for air assault for the 101st is that we'd like to put together a gray book, which has urban tactics, techniques, and procedures that are, that are very practical as a, as a planning resource, something that somebody can thumb through. So the 40th idea is putting this together and we'd like this to be the organizing text for the next planner course in May of 2023. So we hope that we'll be able to get the, the gray book done and we're going to, we were doing it in a partnership with NTC and the lessons that their observer trainers are, are getting. So this should be a practical guide that we can give out to divisions and core planners so that they getting ready to move into a, a dense urban terrain, either in training or the real thing, that they'll be able to look at this practical guide and it'll be very useful. You've actually got some experience with that. You And when Ukraine kicked off, you um, made the mini manual for urban defender. And that's been a, that's been a huge success. So if the gray book can have one tenth of your uh, mini manuals success, I think we'll be doing well. Yes, sir. And, and to, to be clear, I made that with no affiliation to the modern war Institute or anybody else. That was a little side project. Another inspiration. I like this idea of a, a student text, a student handbook, which reminds me of when I was a writer of the student handbook, 21-76, the Ranger Handbook is so powerful because it it is the feedback loop between the course, combat operations, experts, 
all feeding back into this guide that becomes a guidebook, just like the gold book for air, air assault operations for the rest of the military. It becomes very powerful because of that, that cyclic learning expertise, grappling with it um, like we did in this course. Well, sir, it's been an honor to talking to you again. And I sounds like I have a lot of hard work as well to do between now and May. Well, I look forward to having you back in May and getting the group together again. It's going to be uh, an even better course. I'm looking forward to it. And thanks for having me on the podcast again. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Urban Warfare Project podcast. The podcast is produced by the Modern War Institute at West Point. What you hear in each episode are the views of their participants and do not represent the positions of West Point, the Army, or the U.S. government. You can subscribe to the Urban Warfare Project podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to check out Wise other podcasts, as well as the new articles we're publishing every day on our website. Thanks again for listening.